This is Law Disrupted, and today we're talking about Netflix and the disruption in intellectual property and distribution arrangements and licenses that Netflix has wrought. Not dissimilar in some ways to previous disruptive technologies, going back to Betamax and others. And today we're going to be talking with Robert Schwartz, goes by Bobby, who is a partner at Quinn Emanuel Urquhart and Sullivan in Los Angeles. Bobby, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, John. So we hear a lot about the streaming revolution in film and the TV business and how it's been disruptive, how it's really taken off, especially during the pandemic. I mean, this can't be the first time that something like this has happened in the entertainment business. Definitely not the first time, not the first rodeo. Um, it happens every time there is a new distribution method for distributing movies or TV shows. And you could go back to the 1950s when TV came along and the studios started, first they were threatened by it, and then they realized, hey, we can make money licensing our movies to TV stations. And then all the actors and the other talent said, wait, 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 we're not getting paid for that. We didn't give you those rights. They even went out on strike in 1960 and shut down the business until they got what we now call residuals. And then, of course, as you mentioned, with the, the Betamax and the-, the I remember the, that. I remember there were the big Betamax cases where you know, there were artists saying, wait a second, this new technology, we didn't give you the rights to use my likeness or my contribution, uh, whether whatever the kind of artist was, uh, for Betamax. This is unanticipated. You need to do a new deal with us. I remember those cases. Yeah, Mickey Rooney filed a class action in New York against Columbia Pictures and a bunch of studios. Uh, Jerry Lewis filed a, law, a copyright lawsuit here in California. Uh, over his movies to Paramount. Yeah, it all had to get get resolved, and it did. And what the industry first approached as a, a, a challenge, which is why they went to the Supreme Court, Universal and Disney did. Uh, and, and in fact, Jack Valenti, who was the head of the MPAA, testified in Congress with, with purple prose along the lines of the Betamax or the, the VCR is to the movie business what Jack the Ripper is to the woman living alone at home or something like that. And then, and then they woke up and said, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. This could be awesome for us. Let's go into the physical goods business of distributing movies. And so all the studios went into the home video business and it infused them with cash for you know, through the 70s into the 80s and the 90s. They, they morphed into discs and Blu-ray. Yeah. And so it happens all the time and it's very disruptive of contracts. In fact, 2013, you, you would think this was resolved by then, but there were class action lawsuits filed against the studios by people who had worked on movies that were produced under contracts that were written before people started dealing with home video. And they said, hey, you know, I made a movie in 1950 and uh, you're only giving me 20% of the home video as a royalty, of the revenue as a royalty that, you know, you got to pay me more. So it it's was disruptive at the beginning, it's been disruptive now. This ain't the first time it's happened and it won't be the last. And so now we're dealing with streaming. Where, where did this streaming disruption come from? I don't wanna pick on Netflix. Right. Uh, they're not alone responsible for it, but they decided in 2010 to move from being a mail order DVD kind of a company 
uh, into a streaming company and they had a product and they started rolling it out. And then in 2012, they said, you know, why don't we make our own product? And then in 2013, they had House of Cards, which was a huge draw for them. And they realized they had a viable business model in getting it, just cutting the studios out of the, the business completely out of the equation, making their own, pro becoming a, a vertically integrated company the way the studios were before the Paramount decrees in the, in the late 40s. And then they, their, their success did not go unnoticed. So everybody else started jumping in. And, you know, you get Amazon Prime, Disney Plus uh, started November 2019, HBO Max rolled out in 2020. CBS All Access, now called Paramount Plus in 2014, I believe. Uh, so it's a, a wave of everybody realizing you, if you're not in this end of the business, you're going to get crushed. Right. And by the way, th there used to be something called uh, cable. Yes. Cable, yes. cable subscribe. What happened to that? Uh, I would not I would not want to own a cable company stock. Um, they've. People have been, you know, the concept of cord cutting, millennials and others realized that they didn't want to pay a fixed fee for a lot of channels they weren't watching. And they just stopped subscribing to cable and uh, said, you know, I'll watch these shows on Hulu or uh, I'll watch them on my through my Roku or my Apple box or whatever it is. I, I'm not going to pay these ridiculous prices for cable TV. And so you've seen even AT&T go from having the AT&T U-verse and, and Verizon has Fios, these uh, internet protocol systems. AT&T has realized no one's going to be using that service. They're now offering a, a version of DirecTV as a streaming service. I don't know what the future of, of uh, Verizon's Fios will be. And the basic cable companies are finding tremendous churn to the point where I think in a few years, they will be primarily providing just high-speed internet connections to the home and voice over internet telephone protocol and not, the con not, not being programmers. People have really gotten used to the idea that I, they want to watch, they want to watch what they want to watch, when they want to watch it, and for as long as they want to watch it. Yes, and, and that really, that, that market, that demand, for that experience is so attractive to the streaming services or to customers who want to flock to the streaming services with the additional attraction of you can watch everything they offer and you don't have to watch any commercials. So talk about disruption. This is just a business disruption, not a legal disruption, but there are hundreds, maybe thousands of television stations that are not affiliated with TV networks, or they are, but and they're not owned by the major networks. They've made a lot of their money rerunning TV shows. Ask yourself this, when was the last time you watched Seinfeld on a local TV channel or some other, you know, Friends? Why would you do it anymore? You, you, gotta, you can only watch one episode at a time. It's linear. That's what linear, you know, it's one at a time. You got to watch the episode they want to show you when they want to show it to you. And you got to watch their commercials. Why would you do that when you can go to Hulu or Netflix or somewhere else and find it, find every episode you want to watch, binge it, no commercials. It's, it's completely disruptive. Right. I mean, it seems that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that all the major studios and the networks now have their own affiliated streaming services. They pretty much do. I mean, even 
you know, <laughs> you could say MGM is one that didn't, except, you know, if the Justice Department steps aside, they will, because they'll be part of Amazon and Amazon Prime. Sony may be one of the only studios right now, Sony Pictures, that doesn't. And they made a, they've hitched their wagon to, to Netflix uh, with, with an output deal with Netflix. Uh, but you know, Paramount has Paramount Plus and Universal has Peacock through NBC, which it co-owns. Disney has Disney Plus, Warner has HBO Max, even Lionsgate has a, a streaming service, um, which leads to one to wonder, like, are we going to have a glut of these? And again, this is business, not legal, but, you know, are people going to say, hey, you know what, I'll get Netflix, maybe I'll get Apple, and maybe I'll get Disney because I have kids, but I'm not paying six, eight bucks, 10 bucks or more a month for five other services. Then I'm back where in the super I was with with my cable provider and I hated it. And in the meantime, the uh, theatrical exhibition business in, in the bricks and mortar movie theaters, I mean, sustained an enormous blow, obviously from the pandemic and people have gotten used to watching things at home, realize that that's comfortable. They can, you know, subscribe to a service. Uh, they don't have to get out, get in the car, buy a ticket and watch a movie at a specific time. I assume that that's, that's had a huge impact on the theatrical exhibition business. Absolutely. And it's had an effect on talent because, for example, Warner Brothers announced at the end of 2020 that it would stream all of its movies, theatrical movies on HBO Max the same day they came out in theaters. And... The theater said, you're killing us. And why would somebody, uh, and by the way, if, you, if you're an HBO subscriber, you don't have to pay extra for it. You get it anyway. Why would anyone come to my theater and buy a ticket? Um, you're killing me. And so one of the things I'm going to do is, you know, maybe normally we'd split the box office 50-50. I think I can only give you 20%. And the co-financiers and the talent said, hey, wait. It's movie studio, you're now my back end gross or my box office bonuses that you promised me. You've ruined it. You've killed me. You got to make right. it up. You know that that's. But you're absolutely right that uh, this this is you know the theaters are in very very tough times. Or they've said you know what, go ahead and do that, but cut us in on a rev share deal. Give us a piece of your streaming revenue. Right. Well, this is all very interesting. The way it's impacted the business world and the different media and reconfigurations, the studios and networks and the way they release their intellectual property. But how has this translated into legal disruption and, and change and challenges for lawyers such as yourself and other participants in the in the entertainment business? Right. So let's let's divide it into sort of existing movies or already produced movies and the future. And talk, you know, how deal making will change in the future. Let's put that aside and just talk about the litigation world, because the litigation world is focused on what the what this disruption did to existing contractual relationships, and it is and has been massive, and it will continue to be, uh, unfortunately, until it all gets resolved. But so, focus on feature films, and we'll talk about TV as well. On the on the feature film side, if you are somebody who bargain for a box office bonus or a share of the film's gross receipts. And that could mean you're a high level actor, a director, a writer, a producer, a co-financier who put up hundreds of millions of dollars. That whole group of people is very upset because they feel that the value of the revenue streams that were promised to them 
to compensate them for the risks they were taking, the money they were deferring up front, what have you, has been undermined. And if you, if you, and I, we've been advising a lot of companies, co-financiers with major studios and major talent, we've been advising them since this happened about a, year, a little over a year ago, Warner Brothers and, and elsewhere. Uh, the value of your back end, which can be much more valuable than your upfront compensation on a hit film, has really taken a hit. Um, the theatrical market just doesn't drive the, won't be able to drive the revenue the same. Um, if the film is simultaneously or near simultaneously available on streaming. And that has a ripple effect on the value of everything downstream in the movie, uh, in the, in the movie's distribution. So the value that an HBO might pay for the right to put the movie up on HBO, not HBO max, just the traditional HBO is often a function of the box office performance of the film. Well, if you've depressed the box office performance of the film by having a streaming service go out with the film at the same time, you've also depressed the value that HBO pays. Um, the other big problem with this is self-dealing. As you pointed out, virtually every studio has its own affiliated streaming service. And there's a big question as to whether those services are paying fair market value or anything close to it for the rights they're getting to stream these films and TV shows. And that affects talent and it affects the guilds as well because all of this revenue eventually feeds into their residuals programs. So that's what just, that's just one form of, of the disruption. I was just going to say, I saw that uh, village Roadshow, one of the most, I guess, prolific financiers and producers of movies, you know, I think in the or uh, order of magnitude billions of dollars sued Warner brothers just this week. What is that case about? It's the, the paradigm of what we've been talking about. And, and it's very similar to issues we've been advising uh, many of our clients about as well. Village Roadshow has either fully financed or co-financed with Warner Brothers billions of dollars in movies over the years. And what they are complaining about is two different things. One, the most recent Matrix movie came out a few weeks ago, and it was also available on HBO Max, and it bombed in the theaters. At this very same time, or almost the same time, Sony released a Spider-Man movie only in theaters, and it has gone on to be one of the most uh, successful theatrical releases ever. It's almost going to hit Avatar. It may surpass Avatar. So there is obviously an audience uh, for movies, to, for people to go to movie theaters today, notwithstanding COVID or anything else. And Village Roadshow's argument is, hey, Warner Brothers, look, you obviously did this to benefit your affiliated streaming service to attract subscribers. And that's great for you, but we don't own a piece of HBO Max. So it doesn't benefit us. And it came out of our pockets. And you refuse to make that us, up to us. We're partners. We have you have a fiduciary duty to us and you breached it. So they're saying, uh, you know, you did a deal with your streaming service, Warner Brothers, and we, we don't believe that that was an arm's length negotiation. And the price that resulted from that is not a market price. It was right. lower than market price. You were incentivized to pay less to your affiliate. And as a result, we're getting less than we otherwise would have received. That's essentially the claim. That's essentially the thing. We've litigated claims like this. 
I, I'll give you an illustration of this isn't what happened with the Matrix and HBO Max. This is just, and I, I won't identify this, the studio or the, 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 uh, the content that was involved. But just to tell you what's going on sort of underwater here that, that hasn't come to, to light yet fully. It's known a little bit in the industry, but frankly, there are a lot of people in the industry who don't know this. I'll give you an example of there, there, there was a hit television series that we represented someone who had an interest in or company that had an interest in. And we discovered that it had been licensed non-exclusively to either, maybe it was both Netflix and Hulu over the years. And, and then it was given to the studio's affiliated streaming service. And we discovered that if you were a subscriber to say Netflix and you watched the episode of that, the, the, of that show, the same episode from the same season of the same TV show, and you watched it on, on Netflix, Netflix was paying the studio about $30,000 an episode for it. At the very same time, you could also watch it on the studio's affiliated streaming service, which was paying the studio less than $1,000 an episode. So that's a big, di that's a big difference. Yeah. That's, I mean, that can't be right. There's gotta be something wrong with that. How, how does, how does the studio justify that? What's their response to that? Uh, what do we do to settle the dispute? It's going to happen. There's no way that you can't stand up in a court or in front of an arbitrator and defend that. You just can't. And they, their, their attitude was really, I mean, they didn't say it this way was, well, we knew we'd have to fix this once you audited us and called this to our attention. And we didn't really mean, to, I mean, it's, it's the worst of, of Hollywood accounting. How about uh, the, the streaming services also get the movies for free during certain periods of time under these agreements? Some do. And this is, this, this is a little crazy, but, and, uh, I don't want to pick on anybody in particular, but there are pay cable services we've heard of, pay cable like HBO or Showtime or Cinemax, those kind of services that are affiliated with studios. Say, you know, HBO is affiliated with Warner Brothers, they're co-owned owned by the same pair, Showtime and CBS or Viacom, whatever, you know, however they've structured it now, et cetera. And what, what, what is going on at least at some of these services is that if the studio, the movie production part of the company has entered into an output deal, and these are very common with the cable service that says, Hey, look, you, for the, you know, the next two years, you get all our old movies and new movies. The streaming service uh, is, and the studio are saying, you know, by the way, that also included the right to show those movies on our streaming service at no additional charge. And so the participant is saying, wait, 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 wait. It's a different service. You get extra revenue from that and you're not charging them anything for that. If that were not an affiliated streaming service with your company, you would never tolerate that. If, if Sony had an affiliated streaming service, or if, even if it didn't, I mean, it, it just boggles the mind to you, think- you wouldn't, you wouldn't give it to them for free. For you wouldn't give it away to a third party for free. Why are you giving it away to your own party for free? Obviously, because it benefits them, but it comes out of my, you know, I pay, I subsidize that and I'm not prepared to subsidize that. So I'm suing you. What's been happening to these cases? Have there been lawsuits? Do they play out in court, arbitration? You, you made reference to the fact that in your experience, a lot of these are getting settled and, you know, the, the world at large never hears about them. Yeah, you, you hear about the Village Roadshows of the world. You heard about Scarlett Johansson last year suing Disney on her movie. Same idea. 
and, and Disney, once the, the, the public reaction, the hue and outcry, I mean, Disney really botched that, by the way, they, the PR side, but they, they settled it. It did not go very far. And uh, I have no idea whether the Village Road Showcase will get resolved or not. Um, I suspect it's made uh, Warner Brothers a little gun shy with respect to how it's dealing with other parties. It doesn't want uh, another one of these to hit the press right when it's supposed to be reorganizing itself with the Discovery Channel. But there are a lot of arbitrations going on about this that no one hears about. Um, and a lot of settlements, a lot of renegotiations of contracts have taken place in the last year and a half to deal with this. All right. So we've been talking about the past, existing contracts that were already in place when the new streaming technology appeared and how the parties deal with those contracts when in dealing with this, their re respective rights and obligations when this new uh, technology comes into play. How about the future? How's this going to affect the future of deal-making in the entertainment industry? In a couple of ways. I think the big change is going to be based on the recognition that a percentage of the gross or a percentage of the modified adjusted gross or whatever it gets called is no longer a viable means of compensating talent. And neither, frankly, are box office bonuses uh, unless you way, way reduce the thresholds that have to be met for them. And so... If you're talking about the creation of content that's intended for its initial exhibition on a streaming service, the streaming services, the contract for that, the production of that, are finding other ways to compensate talent for success. So if you are going to do a series and have seasons, like most of these uh, shows on Netflix and Amazon and Apple do, you'll get paid more money. You'll get your upfront compensation per episode produced but you'll get bonuses based on the number of seasons it runs, the number of episodes that get produced, the number of Emmy nominations it triggers, those kinds of, or Oscars if we're talking about a feature film or a, a, you know, a theatrical, what we used to think of as a theatrical film. And so the idea is to find other ways to monetize the upside. Uh, it gets a little tricky because if you think about it, in the, the old days, and this is going to create other problems just as I think about it, because in the TV world, they often talk about a series being on the bubble and the network is thinking of canceling it. And maybe it goes back to the, the studio that produces it and says, hey, you know, we'll pick up this, this series for another season, but you got to go back to all the talent, cut the budget, cut the comp, da, 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 da. and th that's going to happen. <laughs> where, <laughs> where streamers are going to realize, you know, this show doesn't really justify itself. Maybe we can we can skin everybody a little bit to keep it on but anyway that's going to happen and and so the result of this is one way of thinking about it is that there'll be more money made on failures and less money made on success so the the days of like carsey werner who made the roseanne show the original one and the cosby show two challenge shows and days in front you know tom werner made so much money off the reruns and other aspects of that show, he he's, he he owns sports teams around the world, and uh, you know, the, and Norman Lear or the people who became fabulously wealthy from the production of TV shows, not likely to see that in our lifetime. Um, and people who work on middling shows are going to do better than they otherwise would have because there is so much competition to get product made to feed all of these streaming services because what they really make their money on is by attracting people with new content, not by reruns of old shows. 
So compensation is is going up uh, for talent and people who contribute to the creation of movies and television shows. And does it tend? Are you saying it tends to be more front end loaded that we're you're not seeing that tail on the back end so much? Well, you see both, but people are saying, "Look, I'm effectively buying out your back end through better upfront compensation," and that's how that's where it's going. So, it it does strain the balance sheets of of some of these streaming companies, and over time, when when they kind of plateau on their subscriber base and start having churn, uh, they'll have to rethink a lot of these deals and what they can afford to pay. But yeah, that's that's the back end is sort of not really much on the back. So, I mean, as a result of uh, the experience with disruptive technologies and how they apply to contracts, including streaming, is that going to change? Should that change? Are there lessons learned in the writing of contracts going forward? I mean, it seems to me it should be possible to write a, a contract that says, I mean, there must be an, an answer to this because it's so obvious that we're getting the rights for any and all, you know, media conceived of now or ever thought of again till the end of time, including uh, Web 3.0, Web 4.0, Web 5, whatever, you know, uh, intergalactic streaming. <laughs> We're getting all those rights. Surely a clever lawyer could write something that covers everything. It's, it's very easy to do what you just said on the rights acquisition side. It's not so easy to anticipate two things. Where will the revenue come from? And will it come from a source that disrupts other revenue streams so that the, you, you've, you've frustrated the purpose of the contract? That You got to have a crystal ball for that. And I don't think you can get that at any film school or law school. Well, that's fascinating, Bobby. Anything else on this subject that you'd like to share with those who are, who are interested in how streaming has disrupted the entertainment business, especially from the standpoint of legal repercussions. My takeaway on all of this is that you got to take a long-term view and we, whatever you think, or we think the legal relationships are, uh, and particularly the business relationships, it's not going to stay static. There is something out there that's going to disrupt all of this all over again. And I promise you, it is going to cause our phones to be ringing off the hook just the way they are now. <laughs> so if you're interested in it, you know, learn about it, stay interested in it. It's a growth industry. Thank you, Bobby. We appreciate it very much. Thank you for being with us. Thank you very much, John. Always great to see you and talk to you. This is Bobby Schwartz, a partner at Quinn, Emanuel, Urquhart and Sullivan in the firm's Los Angeles office. You've been listening to Law Disrupted with me, John Quinn. You can sign up to receive an email when a new episode drops at our website, lawdisrupted.fm. If you enjoyed the show, please share a link on social media and follow at JBQ Law or at Quinn Emanuel. Thank you for tuning in. Well, wasn't that amazing? It was created and produced by podcast partners. They're really lovely people and rather good at all this podcasting guff. Find out more at podcastpartners.com.